0: Bible, Ezekiel chapter 13, Ezekiel <clears throat> chapter 13, and the title tonight is false, the false prophets and prophetesses are condemned. In chapter 13, here we have the prophecy against the false prophets. Even the women <clears throat> were included in this prophecy, the false prophetesses. Many cults have been founded by women. Or they have a very important part in them. Ezekiel had answered the shallow selfish thinking of the uh, exiles. And the Peter and, and the people in Jerusalem. But now he addresses the source of their blind hopeful, hopefulness. Which was the lying messages the people were listening to from the false prophets. Jeremiah in Jerusalem had to deal with a group of men like them. Who said they had a word from the Lord. The false prophets were saying that they were speaking in the name of the Lord, just like Jeremiah and Ezekiel did. But the false prophets didn't get their messages from the Lord, like Jeremiah and Ezekiel did. Ezekiel spoke against the false prophets in verses 1 through 16. He speaks to the false prophetesses here in verses 17 through 23, who were actually practicing the occult. Which God forbid his people to do in Deuteronomy chapter 18 verses 9 through 14. Listen to what he said. When you enter the land, the Lord your God has given you. Be very careful not to imitate the detestable customs of the nations. And the word nations is speaking of the Gentiles or the heathen. So he says, do not imitate the detestable customs of the nations living there. For example, never sacrifice your son or daughter as a burnt offering. Do not let your people practice fortune telling or use sorcery or interpret omens or engage in witchcraft or cast spells or function as mediums or psychics or call forth the spirits of the dead. Anyone that does these things is detestable to the Lord. It's because the other nations have done these detestable things that the Lord your God will drive them out ahead of you. But you must be blameless before the Lord your God. The nations that you are about to displace consult sorcerers and fortune-tellers, but the Lord your God forbids you to do such things. Ezekiel continues to give the people the pure word of God. And chapter 3 covers the prophecy condemning false prophets and the false prophetesses. And there are four parts to Ezekiel's message against false prophets and prophetesses. First, God condemns the false prophets in verses 1 through 7. Then he tells them his judgment against them. And it comes in two stages, in verses 8 through 12 and verses 13 through 16. Next, he condemns the false prophetesses in verses 17 through 19, which is followed by God's announcement of judgment in verses 20 through 23. So in verses 1 through 7, Ezekiel denounces the false prophets. So in verse, chapter 13, let's look at verses 1 through 3. And it reads, And the word of the Lord came to me, Ezekiel saying, Son of man, prophesy against the prophets of Israel who prophesy, and say to those who prophesy out of their own heart, Hear the word of the Lord. Thus says the Lord God, Woe to the foolish prophets who follow their own spirit and have seen nothing. Nothing. So what was the problem with these prophets? These prophets were prophesying out of their own hearts. In other words, they were prophesying what they felt needed to be said. We still see a great illustration of this in 1 Samuel chapter 27. Let's look at, uh, go to uh, 1 Samuel chapter 27. 1 Samuel chapter 27. And beginning with verse 1. And David said in his heart. So David's looking inward. This is coming from his heart. David said in his heart, Now I shall perish someday by the hand of Saul. So here you're hearing David coming to this conclusion as he... You know, goes over this, this problem he's having with Saul who's been chasing and wanting to kill him. And he said, he said in his heart, you know what? I'm going to perish someday by the hand of Saul. He says, there is nothing better for me than that I should speedily escape to the land of the Philistines and Saul will despair of me to seek me anymore in any part of Israel. So again, he's talking within his heart and he comes up with the solution. He said, now I'm going to perish one day. He says, so there's nothing better for me to do. And you see, you don't see anything in there about him talking to God. There's no prayer. There's no asking God what he should do. He's come to the conclusion by looking within himself, leaning upon his own understanding. You know what? I got to do something. He says, there's nothing better than I can do. And he's right. Without God, there's nothing better that we can do. He says, I need to get out of here. And if I do, if I leave town... He says, Saul will despair of me. That is, he'll get tired of chasing me down and he'll leave me alone. And he will, and notice again now, he says, so I shall escape out of his hand. Again, in verse one there. Verse two, says, then David arose and he went over with 600 men who were with him to Achish, the son of Maok, king of Gath. So David dwelt with Achish and Gath and he and his men, each man with his household and David with his two wives, Ahinoam, the Jezreelitess. And Abigail, the Carmelitus, Nabal's widow, and it was told Saul that David had fled to Gath, so he sought him no more. So what does David, again, deciding this thing in his heart, he goes, to, he, he, he runs away. He says, there's nothing better for me to do. I'm going to go to Gath. David, Saul will stop following me, He'll stop chasing me down. So he takes his, his, these men that were with him that he's leading and his family to Gath. Now, if you remember uh, where, where Gath, what happened in Gath, that's where he, you know, where, where the Philistines were. That's where uh, David uh, fought Goliath. And, and so he went into enemy territory with his family because he was, he, this was all something that he decided on his own. God didn't tell him to leave. God didn't tell him to take his family to enemy territory. And he lived there for almost a year and a half. Totally against the will of God. But again, that's what happens when you, when you begin to look into, in your own heart, begin to lean upon your own understanding. You know, and, and as it said here, he, they, you know, they, they, they were looking inside his heart. It says, they, the false prophets, were prophesying out of their own heart and were saying, hear the word of the Lord. But it wasn't the Lord that was speaking to them. That's why Jeremiah tells us in chapter 17, verse 9, that the heart is deceitful above all things. And desperately wicked, who can know it? The heart is cunning. The heart is false. It's unpredictable. It calls evil good and good evil. It looks at things through magic glasses that make things look better, that makes things look that, like you know, what they really aren't. And it, it, the heart cries peace to those to whom peace does not belong. And when men, men say in their hearts, as these false prophets did, and as David did, men who, who say in their hearts, that is, when they allow their hearts to whisper to them, hey, comforting lies... Hey, there is no God. Or, hey, don't worry, God doesn't see what's going on. He won't require anything of you or you'll have peace. When our hearts tell us these kinds of things, though they go on living a lie or they go on in these kind of things that, that the heart whispers to them or a, a thousand similar suggestions, the heart is deceitful. It cheats men into doing things to their own ruin that, dis, that they destroy themselves. And here's the annoying thing about it. They deceive themselves. They have nobody to blame but themselves for looking within and leaning upon their own understanding. They destroy themselves. This is how the heart is desperately wicked. It's deadly. It's desperate. This is the deceitfulness of the heart. So so that's why we can truly say, who can know it? Who can describe how bad the heart really is? We don't know our hearts. We can't know our hearts. Though we think we do. We don't know what they'll do in a time of temptation. Hezekiah didn't know what to do. Peter didn't know what to do. We don't know what corrupt natures there are in our hearts. Nor in how many things they've turned away. Who can understand the faults of our hearts? Even more so, we can't know the hearts of others. Or depend on any of them. But whatever wickedness there is in the heart, God knows. He sees it. God sees it and he knows it perfectly well because he said, I, the Lord, search the heart. And this is true of all that's in the heart and all the thoughts of it. And those are most carelessly, those things are most carelessly overlooked by ourselves. All the intents of the heart, all those things that are most cleverly disguised and hidden from others. We overlook ourselves. That's why Solomon said in Proverbs 4, 23 through 27, guard your heart above all else. Guard your heart. Protect your heart above all else. He says, because it determines the course of your life. Healthy heart, healthy life. A, a, a sick heart, a sick life. He said, avoid all perverse talk. He said, stay away from corrupt speech. We learned that from, from Paul in Ephesians chapter 5 last Sunday. Solomon said, look straight ahead. Stay focused. Fix your eyes on what lies before you. He said, mark out a straight path for your feet. Stay on the safe path. Don't get sidetracked. Keep your feet from following evil. So God is judge himself and he alone is judge because he and nobody else knows the hearts of men. So may God be always merciful to the man who stands in the pulpit or anyone else who preaches their own opinions and beliefs and does not preach the pure word of God. Now, a pastor can and does make mistakes in interpreting the word of God. Or maybe I should just speak for myself. I know I've made mistakes. People in the congregation have let me know, which is great. I said, hey, if I leave you with a question, don't hesitate to ask. And I've gone back and, and looked over a study or read a passage to I go, you know, I interpreted that wrong. And I will come back and say, hey, you know, I messed up. This is what it should have been said or, or, or what it really means here. You know, that's what God has to work with these, these you know, blemished bodies and, and minds. So, you know, but God still wants to use us. So, again, I'm not trying to interpret God's word um, and making mistakes. I'm trying to do it the best I can. Not intentionally lying or trying to misrepresent God, His Word, or my own interpretation. But these men, these false prophets, were preaching what they thought, what they wanted to say. They, brought, they were preaching things like, like how to make friends and influence people. Think positively. Be independent and think of yourself as a wonderful person and not as a sinner. So the false prophet's message was basically, hey guys, everything's okay in Jerusalem. Don't sweat it. Ezekiel, who was a prophet among the exiles, knew about the prophets that were challenging him and who were giving the people a different message and who were also saying that what they had to say was from God, just like Ezekiel. His contemporary Ezekiel's contemporary, his co-laborer, Jeremiah, ministered under the same stressful conditions. And in his book, he condemned the false prophets too. Ezekiel's message starts out with an exhortation from the Lord here to prophesy or preach against these false prophets who weren't speaking God's word, but were speaking from their own hearts, speaking their own minds, and giving the people false information. Compared to a true prophet, who was one who spoke only God's will and was led by the Holy Spirit. Look at verses 4 through 7. O Israel, your prophets are like foxes in the deserts. You have not gone up into the gaps to build a wall for the house of Israel to stand in battle on the day of the Lord. They have envisioned futility and false divination, saying, Thus says the Lord. But the Lord has not sent them. Yet they hope... That the word may be confirmed. Have you not seen a futile vision? And have you not spoken false divination? You say, the Lord says, but the Lord says, I have not spoken. I didn't say that. I wasn't, I wasn't, I didn't give those false prophets a message they're giving. So verses four through seven, Ezekiel compares the false prophets to foxes or, or jackals that live like animals of prey in the deserted ruins of the land. The false prophets only cared for themselves and they didn't do anything to improve the situation. And they lived off the fears of the people. When there's a crisis, there are always religious people who who take advantage, who who prey on the weak and the ignorant people who are looking for cheap promises and comfort. And if these prophets had been true to God like Israel, like Ezekiel and Jeremiah had been, These prophets would have warned the people about the judgment that was coming. And again, that's the responsibility that that we're given as watchmen. And we see that in Ezekiel chapter 33, verses 1 through 9. And I know you're familiar with the passage. God says, Son of man, speaking to Ezekiel, give your people his message. And I'm reading it from the New Living Translation. When I bring an army against a country, the people of that land choose one of their own to be a watchman. And when the watchman sees the enemy coming... He sounds the alarm to warn the people. And then if those who hear the alarm refuse to take action, it's their own fault if they die. They heard the alarm but ignored it. So the responsibility is theirs. If they had listened to the warning, they could have saved their lives. But if the watchman sees the enemy coming and doesn't sound the alarm to warn the people, he is responsible for their captivity. They will die in their sins, but I will hold the watchman responsible for their deaths. Because again, He didn't warn them of the danger ahead. Now, son of man, I'm making you a watchman for the people of Israel. Therefore, listen to what I say and warn them for me. If I announce that some wicked people are sure to die and you fail to tell them to change their ways, then they will die in their sins and I will hold you responsible for their death. But if you warn them to repent and they don't repent, they will die in their sins, but you will have saved yourself. Instead of helping to repair the holes in the wall by strengthening the lives of the people morally and spiritually, the false prophets had a part in their decay. Instead of receiving a sure word from God, the false prophets imagined false visions. They told lies received by their own imagination, verse 6 says. They tried to predict the future using human devices, not by receiving God's insight and what they said were just vain imaginations from their own minds when God hadn't really spoken through them at all in verses 8 through 16 here God declares his judgment let's look at verse 8 through 16 now therefore thus says the Lord God because you have spoken nonsense and envisioned lies therefore I am indeed against you says the Lord God my hand will be against the prophets who envision futility and who divine lies. And they shall not be in the assembly of my people, nor be written in the record of those uh, uh, record of the house of Israel, nor shall they enter into the land of Israel. Then you shall know that I am the Lord God. Because indeed, because they have seduced my people, saying, Peace, when there is no peace, and one builds a wall, and they plaster it with untempered mortar... Say to those who plaster it with untempered mortar that it will fall. There will, be great, there will be flooding rain and you, O great hailstones, shall fall and a stormy wind shall tear it down. Surely when the wall has fallen, will it not be said to you, where is the mortar with which you plastered it? Therefore, thus says the Lord God, I will cause a stormy wind to break forth in my fury. And there shall be a flooding, a flooding rain in my anger and great hailstones in fury to consume it. So I will break down the wall that you have plastered with untempered mortar and bring it down to the ground so that its foundation will be uncovered. It will fall and you shall be consumed in the midst of it. Then you shall know that I am the Lord. Thus will I accomplish my wrath on the wall and on those who have plastered it with untempered mortar. And I will say to you, the wall is no more, nor those who plastered it. That is, the prophets of Israel who prophesy concerning Jerusalem and who see visions of peace for her when there is no peace, says the Lord God. Because the prophets deliberately deceived the leaders and the people, Ezekiel announced that these prophets were going to be cut off. That is, there would be no record of their personal ministries that would be left. The Jew who was well aware of the Exodus story Hey, they couldn't help but remember Exodus uh, chapter 7 verse 5 where it said, And the Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord when I stretch out my hand on Egypt and bring out the children of Israel from among them. Because of God's judgment on the Egyptians, God's enemies should have opened their eyes to who God is, to his character. But you see, the wickedness of God's people made it necessary for him to show himself by bringing judgment on them as well. These lying and deceiving prophets were giving false hope to the people. They were saying, like it says in verse 10, don't worry, there will be peace. And God says, there's not going to be any peace. You see, their walls, their words were like an old rickety wall that would fall down at the slightest touch. Ezekiel had compared the false prophets to workers who failed to build something that was solid. To build something that would last, that spiritual wall that had to be protected, the Jewish that, that had protected the Jewish people for centuries, that wall had fallen into ruins. And prophets like Ezekiel and Jeremiah were trying to rebuild and strengthen that wall by proclaiming God's word and calling people back to God. And you know we have to keep up and protect the spiritual wall that we built through the Word of God to keep the enemy from penetrating and getting through to our soul. But the false prophets ignored the word of God. Instead, they substituted God's word with their own lies, which is called here by Ezekiel in verse 10, untempered mortar, which was like whitewash. The false prophets were like workers who whitewashed a rickety wall that was about to crumble to make it look sturdy. Sturdy. Because, again, they promised peace when God promised destruction. You know, if you've ever seen a, a block wall or a brick wall where the, the, the joints, the cement's coming out of the joints and, and the bricks are starting to crumble and they're separating and they're looking like they're getting ready to fall over, you can see that the wall is weak and it's about to come down. Well, what they would do, they take this untempered mortar, it's like plaster, and they cover the wall, they cover the brick. Therefore, they're covering the, the weakness of the wall, and it, and it looks nice and pretty. It's all solid, and it looks, it looks healthy. And that's what the, the, the false prophets were doing, in a sense, to the people of Israel. They were telling them lies. They were, they were, they were really covering up the things that God was saying. You know, they were, they were, this was the untempered mortar they were using. It's like whitewash. It just covered all the defects, it covered all the weaknesses, and it made it look healthy and strong. Again, they were like the workers who were whitewashing a rickety old wall that was about to come down the wall that they built wouldn 't protect the people instead, it was something that would fall down at the slightest touch, even though they had dressed it up with this untempered mortar. you know it looked nice, it looked sturdy, strong. You know, it's kind of like the person who goes to church and, and they know the language. They, they they know the right things to do, and in that way, they, they cover over the signs of Christianity. But their foundation is not the solid Word of God. And at the and at the slightest storm in their life, they crumble, and they fall apart because underneath the Christian coating the Christian whitewash there is no real foundation and just as the storm would come it's not a matter of if it's going to come it's going to come the rain will come the hail will come the wind will blow it will knock down that wall and God's wrath would come and destroy Jerusalem and the prophets and their, their lying messages a true prophet tells people what they need to hear a false prophet tells people what they want to hear. In 2 Timothy chapter 4 verses 1 through 5, Paul said this: I charge you therefore before God and the Lord Jesus Christ, who will judge the living and the dead at his appearing and his kingdom, preach the word, be ready in season and out of season, convince, rebuke, exhort with all long-suffering and teaching, because The time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, and we're in that time, but according to their own desires, because they have itching ears, they will heap up for themselves teachers, and they will turn their ears away from the truth and be turned aside to fables. But you, be watchful in all things, endure afflictions, do the work of an evangelist, fulfill your ministry. A true servant of God builds carefully on a strong foundation. And they keep the wall in good shape because the solid foundation is where God stands. That's where we need to we need to stand. But a hireling builds carelessly and whitewashes over the cracks to make it look better. In First Corinthians chapter three, verses ten through fifteen, Paul said this according to the grace of God which was given to me. As a wise master builder, I have laid the foundation, and another builds on it. But let each one take heed how he builds on it. For no other foundation can anyone lay than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. There's our foundation, our rock-solid foundation. Paul says, Now if anyone builds on this foundation with, with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, straw, each one's work will become clear, for the day will declare it. Because it will be revealed by fire, and the fire will test each one's work of what sort it is. And if anyone's work, which has built on, if anyone's work which he has built on it endures, he will receive a reward. A reward. If anyone's work is burned, he will suffer loss, but he himself will be saved. Yet so as through fire. So God explained how He would judge the false prophets in verse nine. First. He said they would be exposed as phonies. They would no longer have a good reputation with the people. They would lose their important positions in the councils of the nation. God would treat them like Jews who had lost their citizenship and that would result in losing their privilege of returning to their land. So it seems like the false prophets in Jerusalem would be killed by the enemy and those who were in Babylon would be left there to die. The false prophets gave the people a false hope, so God didn't give, that, give them any hope at all. You see, it's a serious thing to be called by God and to speak His word to His people. But to take it upon yourself to be in a place of ministry without being called is arrogance, which is one thing. But then to make up the messages that didn't come from God, man, that is just plain silly. That is foolish. Foolish. As well as presumptuous, the false prophets in Ezekiel's day were guilty of being both being self-called to ministry and then making up their own message, their own messages and giving them to the people and saying, "These are from God. Just because a person is popular is not a test that they're called to ministry. It's not a test of truth. It's not a, it's not a, a, a reliable test that you're called of God. And history shows that people who spoke the truth were usually rejected by the majority and they were persecuted and even killed. In Matthew chapter 7, verses 15 through 27, Jesus used the same image of a storm to warn us about false prophets. Jesus said, Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ravenous wolves. You will know them by their fruits. He said, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord shall enter the kingdom of heaven. But he who does the will of my Father in heaven. So you see, it's not what you say, it's what you do, Jesus said, that will get you into heaven. He said, many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in your name? Have we not cast out demons in your name and done many wonders in your name? And then Jesus said, I will declare to them, I never knew you. And he's speaking in terms of a personal relationship. And then he said, depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. He says, therefore, whoever hears these sayings of mine, and that's his word, all of his word. Whoever hears these sayings of mine and does them. He says, I will liken him to a wise man who built his house on the rock. And then the rain descended and it did not. And and the floods came and the winds blew and beat on that house. And it did not fall because it was founded on the rock. But everyone who hears these sayings of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And the rain descended and the floods came and the winds blew and beat on that house and it fell and great was its fall. You know, it's like standing across the street and here's these two houses and from across the street, they both look the same. On the outside, they look perfectly fine but on the inside. One's built on the solid foundation and the other's not. And when the tests of life come, you'll see what kind of foundation that house was built on because it's fallen. Jesus said, great will be its fall. It's easy for us to say, Lord, Lord, Lord this and Lord that. But it's not easy to walk that narrow narrow road. It's not easy to face that crowd that is walking in the opposite direction that you are. You know, the thing is, any dead fish can float downstream. It takes a strong one to go against the current. Because there are false prophets in this world. We have to be careful that we're not deceived, but the greatest danger is deceiving yourself. The scribes and the Pharisees had deceived themselves into believing they were righteous and everybody else was sinful. Jesus called them whitewashed sepulchers. In other words, they were were caskets or coffins, whitewashed, looking real nice, real pretty, but inside there was dead man's bones, rottenness. People can know the right words. They can believe intellectually the right doctrines. They can obey the rules, and they're still not saved. The prophets themselves are false, and the closer we get to them, the more we see their phony lives and doctrines. They build themselves up and, and not Jesus. And their purpose is to take advantage of people and not to build them up. And the person who believes false doctrines or follows a false prophet will never experience a changed life. And it's sad that some people don't realize this until it's too late. And that's why during the tribulation, the Antichrist is going to deceive a lot of people. Verses 17 through 23 now, condemnation and judgment, beginning with verse uh, uh, 17. Likewise, son of man... Set your face against the daughters of your people who prophesy. Now he's speaking about the false prophetesses who prophesy out of their own heart. Prophesy against them. And say, Thus says the Lord God Woe to the women who sew magic charms on their sleeves and make veils for the heads of people of every height to hunt souls. Will you hunt the souls of my people and keep yourselves alive? And will you profane me among my people for handfuls of barley and for pieces of bread? killing people who should not who should not die, and keeping people alive who should not live by your lying to my people who listen to lies? Therefore, thus says the Lord God, Behold, I am against your magic charms by which you hunt souls there like birds. I will tear them from your arms and let the souls go, the souls that you hunt like birds. I will also tear off your veils and deliver my people out of your hand, and they shall no longer be as... As pray in your hand, then you shall know that I am the Lord. Because with lies you have made the heart of the righteous sad, whom I have not made sad. And you have strengthened the hands of the wicked so that he does not turn from his wicked ways to save his life. Therefore, you shall no longer envision futility nor practice divination. For I will deliver my people out of your hand and you shall know that I am the Lord. So the false prophets and the false prophetesses were both condemned. Verses seventeen through nineteen. The gift of prophecy wasn't given just to men. Several, several prophetesses are named in Scripture. There's Miriam in Exodus fifteen twenty. There's Deborah in Judges four, four through five. There's the wife of Isaiah in Isaiah eight three. There's Huldah in Second Kings twenty two fourteen, and the daughters of Philip, the evangelist in Acts twenty one, eight through nine. The Jewish women that Ezekiel was exposing here were more like sorceresses who said, they were false pro- who said they were prophetesses. They practiced the magic arts. They practiced the occult that they had probably learned in Babylon. But all of this was forbidden by God. It was forbidden to the Jews. As we read in Deuteronomy 18, 9-14. The women here, these, these false prophetesses, they made charms, magic charms. That people could wear on different parts of their body to protect them from evil. They also uh, told fortunes and they uh, persuaded people to buy their services. And like the false prophets, they were using the crisis situation for personal gain. They were taking advantage of the people's fears. Of the judgment that was coming. And these women were helping the people. I'm sorry, they weren't helping the people. They were hurting them. It says here they were catching them like, like birds in a trap to take their money. They told the people lies. They didn't expose their sins and they kept them from trusting the true and the living God and depending upon His word alone. Instead of condemning the evil and rewarding the good, they were slaying the good and rewarding the evil. And through their divinations, they gave false hope to the wicked and they condemned the just. And they were willing to do it, it says in verse 19, just for a handful of barley and some scraps of bread. But in the end, they were going to get what they had coming to them. God would strip them of of their charms. He said, I'm going to strip you of your amulets and and then take your people uh, back to to their land, leaving these evil women uh, behind to die. And through the methods and the messages and the ministries of the false prophets and the false prophetesses, these men and women led the nation to believe that those in Babylon would soon be returned and Israel restored. They condemned Ezekiel and Jeremiah. They they said, Jeremiah, man, you you and and Ezekiel, you're troublemakers. Everything's fine. People are going to go back to their land soon. And God said, no, you're going to be in captivity for 70 years. Don't worry about judgment. Everything's going to be okay. Instead of these false prophetesses and prophets preaching uh, coming judgment, they said, hey, peace. There's going to be peace. There's going to be prosperity and freedom. Kind of a just, hey, kick back, relax attitude. And that kept the people under control. They were hearing what they wanted to hear. They told people what they wanted to hear as a way of keep, keeping control of them. So in closing... In times of moral crisis, there are always those who seek personal gain by setting up phony ministries. They preach their own own messages and not God's divine truth. They preach peace instead of repentance. And they use materialistic methods and they set up idols in human hearts. And that's why Jesus said, watch and pray. And more than ever today, you guys, we need to watch and pray. Be alert. Know the word of God so that when you hear something that isn't the word of God, you can recognize it. And you'll know the difference between the true and the false. Father, once again, we come before you to thank you for your word. We thank you for the wonderful examples that you give us. The warnings that you give us, God. The things that you tell us to look for, to pay attention to. As Solomon said in Proverbs, to guard our hearts. To stay focused. To look straight ahead. And and as Warren Wiersbe said, he said, when the outlook is bleak, try the uplook for there we see God sitting on the throne immovable in control and no one will ever take his place no one will never knock him off of his throne in the uplook we see him and we receive peace and hope and strength and expectation and courage and encouragement So, Father, may we keep our eyes fixed on you, looking up, looking for you. We're not looking for tribulation. We're not looking for trouble. We're not looking for things to come upon this earth. We're looking for you, Lord. We're looking for you. So, Father, we thank you. We thank you for your love. We thank you for your grace and mercy. We thank you for your word. We thank you for your spirit, God, who leads us into all truth. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.